Did you know that the U.S. exported 1.21 billion pounds of scrap plastics in 2021? The numbers are staggering. It makes one wonder, is sustainability in a plastic-free or zero-waste life possible? If not, what are the options to move forward? And what does it have to do with the famous red Solo Cup? Well, we think that the founder, Lauren Choi, of the New Norm Fabric is onto something. The way they see it is through their first trial successfully incorporated the Red Solo Cup, a material not recycled in the U.S. and not used in fabric, into a fiber that can be manufactured on an industrial machinery. Their materials have been lab tested and woven and knit into fabric samples. Here's Lauren for more on what she's doing at the New Norm. Hi everyone, my name is Lauren Cha and I'm the founder of The New Norm. We transform plastics into sustainable yarns and fabrics. We specifically target plastics that don't get recycled in our current infrastructure. So, so far we have created fabrics from recycled solo cups, various ocean plastics and old fishing nets. And we are really looking for brands that share our environmental and social mission. And thank you so much for having me. Of course, we always love to meet new founders and people tackling the, the ever-changing sustainability um, and change, as well as in fashion and how to go about it and what materials are available. Um, and I love that we came across each other. So I'm excited mm -hmm. to hear more. So tell us about your journey of starting your brand, what your brand stands for, kind of the mission and vision. Yeah, so I started the Nainar back um, right around the time when there was a lot of news coming out about how we as a nation here in the U.S., we really lacked the infrastructure to recycle all of the plastic that we use as a country. And right around 2018 is really when it came to light that we highly rely on shipping our waste overseas. We pack our recyclables onto ships and send them over to various countries. Um, a lot of it gets incinerated or landfilled. And when China stopped accepting our recyclables back in 2018, that our uh, spotlight was put on all of these issues. Our landfills were overwhelmed. And as I think as just someone who's passionate about sustainability, someone who tries to recycle a lot, I was completely shocked. I kind of assumed every time I put something in the blue bin, it was being recycled and that's rarely the case. And so that took me down a rabbit hole. Um, I was studying materials engineering at Johns Hopkins at the time. And I ended up spending a summer in my garage building a small machine. It recycled plastic into a yarn and then using that yarn, um, I created fabric samples. Um, but fast forward three years. Wow, like, um, wait, full stop, Lauren. Like, yeah, you need to like yeah. pat yourself on the back. Like that is amazing. Not only do you have the visibility into, you know, the true problem or what happens after we throw something away, uh, which is so still mind blowing to me that we don't talk about this enough. And so I'm glad that you talked about it, but then also that you built this machine that turns it into a thread, you know, like how <laughs> monumental that is. So like, let's stop and like, 
give yourself yeah. a pat on the back and like celebrate <laughs> that full stop. Oh, thank amazing. you. You're welcome. Yeah, that was that was quite the experience. That that machine did not work for many many months. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't overnight that it just you turned it on and De it worked. Definitely not overnight. Um, yeah, I was. It was. I actually took the whole summer and it didn't work at the end of the summer. I had completely charred the inside of the machine. It didn't work. <laughs> Uh, and I, I took it back to school and fixed a couple parts of it. And actually the solo cup was the first thing that we started with, um, being on a college campus, there are so many solo cups and it happened to be that the solo cup that we put into the machine once it was fixed. That was the first thing that we were able to create a yarn with. And that's really where development just took off. Um, that is amazing. That is truly amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, but I think that just goes to show how many ups and downs there are in trying to create something. Um, you know, the, the machine evolved so many times after that. And then one day I actually had to put it back in the garage because um, we started formal product development with textile labs and polymer labs. And that's really when we essentially started again from ground zero and tried to figure out, you know, can this be replicated at scale? This is something we can do on a large enough scale to make a significant impact. And that's really what I've spent the last three years doing is product development. Um, and now we're trying to navigate larger scale manufacturing and, and partnering with brands that can kind of help us achieve these next steps. That is truly amazing. I think that this, this highlights kind of just the challenges ahead of not only of any entrepreneur, the ups and downs, it's not an overnight success. I mean, you took, you know, months and months and years of schooling and, you know, trial and error to come up with this idea, to test it out, to get it into a minimum viable product, and then now getting it to the point where you're scaling it and bringing it to other brands that can help with this mission. And I think that it's so important to have that community and that you're providing this service to um, brands such as myself, because we're always in the need of fabric, but if there's something that we can use to take care of um, the materials we already have at our disposal, such as the solo cups and the plastics, I think it's mm -hmm. a greater way to um, tackle two problems at one time. Because I don't, I don't see plastic changing or going out of our world anytime soon. It's, it's in everything. It's in everything. It is in everything. Yeah, so, <laughs> I totally agree. Totally it's, agree. It's like one of those big, it's like big sugar, beef, uh, you know, these major commodities, oil and gas that are just, just mm -hmm. so ingrained into our daily lives that it definitely is going to be a marathon and not a sprint and how we change the way we use these. Um, and we need to look across, you know, other countries and, you know, some other countries are doing it very well. And then how do we bring it to a large scale, these ideas that you have or that are revolutionizing the production and manufacturing industries? Yeah, I, I think I totally agree. We are a society that is so heavily dependent on plastic. And I think it's easy to think of plastic and think, oh, like a water bottle or a, a takeout container. But really, when you look at the clothing you, you're wearing, the furniture you sit on, the cars we drive, everything is made of plastic. And I, I think being able to visualize how crude oil gets turned into plastic, which can be turned into a synthetic fiber, which can be turned into a dress 
or a skirt or a swimsuit. Um, I think there is a gap uh, where the, the consumer doesn't often get to see that entire process. Um, I think one thing that I've heard a lot is, you know, when people feel our fabric and I tell them, you know, this used to be plastic, um, <laughs> it's hard to kind of imagine that transformation oftentimes. Um, but yeah, yeah, we, we rely heavily on plastic as a society and I, I don't think it's going anywhere. So I think we need to start implementing just more sustainable solutions, use the materials we've already produced, recycle them into new products um, and just start that transition away from crude oil and, and new plastics. I completely agree. So when you started this, I mean, you kind of shared of how you got started, but why was it so important for you to work in this space of sustainability and specifically manufacturing of textile? Yeah, um, I think personally, I was always very passionate about sustainability. I remember it starting in middle school, um, just seeing kind of new technologies come out. I mean, that's really when solar, um, new building technologies were emerging. Um, and I think as a, a middle schooler, I was like, whoa, this is something that you can pursue as like a career. And I thought that was just very cool. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I think, beyond that i was always very personally interested in fashion um but i didn't realize that you could pursue fashion from a more engineering and technical standpoint um and i think i'm really lucky that you know this is a startup that brings together two things i'm really passionate about um but i you know until i started working on this i didn't realize that um you could be a scientist or an engineer and work in the fashion industry. And so I, I do hope more and more people as we need these sustainable technologies realize that um, there's a whole skill set, a whole industry that requires people that care about fashion and are passionate about that, but are also passionate about you know, solving some of these big technical problems. I completely agree. I think that bringing more visibility around the areas and the opportunities and the positions and titles and where you can work in fashion. It doesn't have to be you're the in, you know, the brand um, that you know, buys these products and sells them. But you, like you mentioned, you can be an engineer. There's so many other um, avenues to be able to tackle this lifestyle problem, this lifestyle problem. And then in the life cycle, there's so many components that have to be um, put together and I think that's where sustainability is. We're trying to figure out this one definition for what sustainable is. How do we become more sustainable and not just in the materials? Like you mentioned, it started a while ago. It started back in middle school. And for, I think, a lot of us that have kind of a affinity towards sustainability, it starts at a young age. It's in the way that we were probably raised. I was, I'm a middle child. So I had hand-me-downs from my older sister, mm -hmm. even though I quickly yeah. outgrew her, um, much taller than her. Um, just seeing my parents um, work two and, my dad worked two and three jobs to support a family of three girls and, you know, finding mm -hmm. decent things that were somebody else's garage sale items and bringing into the house and just this, cycle of just reusing things they may not mm -hmm. be new new but they're new to us right and yeah um, 
And that's kind of sustained the whole life. Why do I need to buy this if I have something that's just as good, right? Um, and right. not getting caught up in the FOMO of these things, but in learning to invest as you know, you mature, learning to invest and spend your money where it's going to one, support your values and two, is going to be something that's of quality. Yeah, totally agree. And I think, you know, there, yeah, an individual can make these lifestyle changes. We can, you know, reuse things. Uh, and I think the individual can do that. But I also think on like a, a large industry-wide scale, there has to be that kind of mindset shift. I think one thing that drives me is the sense of urgency that like these problems are, at, you know, they're snowballing at this point. We are really getting to a point where, our environment has suffered greatly from the damage that we've inflicted. And so I think companies, if they can adopt that same mindset of like, hey, there is a ton of plastic out there. We've already produced it and now it's been thrown away. Can we repurpose that? Can we just use that existing material instead of constantly pumping in more materials into that system? Um, yeah, I, I really do think that if we get the right supply chains in place, the right infrastructure, there is plenty of recycled materials that we could begin offsetting brand new plastic production today if we wanted to. But yet, you know, when it comes to synthetic fiber manufacturing, something like over 150 billion pounds of new fibers are created every year. And those go into, you know, fabrics to support apparel and furniture and uh, the automotive industry, 150 billion pounds. How do we start chipping away at that and incorporating recycled materials? Because that, that is a big challenge. Um, but yeah, I think it all goes back to that individual mindset shift. Um, so yeah, I really do hope that's something we see in the coming decades. And I, I think one of the biggest things that people are kind of, you know, myself included, that are not really saying, I think the infrastructure is there. It definitely needs some more supporting pillars um, once we kind of outline what sustainability is and what the current processes we have in place, uh, what does it look like to what you're saying? We have these existing materials, they exist today, we could stop this process. But what I think mm -hmm. that a lot of people, like I said, like including myself are not saying is that, these companies can very well turn around tomorrow and make this change. Okay. The problem is it, it will require a little bit more investment in some manufacturing, sure, but these are huge fashion houses. These are huge manufacturing and textile industries that all they need to do is make the investment and they're still going to be, you know, hand over fist of the money that they feel like they're not getting probably for doing this change or supporting this, you know, holistically where it makes it easier for smaller brands such as myself or, you know, emerging brands or other people that are start sustainably or, you know, engineers like yourself that can start these textile companies that can help support it. Like tomorrow, it could, you know, I feel like it could be something that could be up and running in, you know, six months to a year or something like that, which is relatively small. Um, compared to brands such as ourselves that are emerging and tackling the hard problem and trying to do the investment kind of backwards, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like they they feel like they're going to lose some type of investment or money, which 
the, the market for sustainability is growing and is well into the millions and billions at this point where, you know, millennials and Gen Z is saying that this is what we want. This, you, in order to do business with us, this is what you need to do. It goes beyond the, the old days of corporate responsibility. You have to have sustainable practices as a part of your ethos, period, full stop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the modern consumer is demanding it at this point, just as you said. Um, yeah, and I, I agree that I think the large companies that realize this and act fast will just get in actually earlier and in long, in the long term, that might actually be a strategic decision I think when it comes to the, you know, the price of oil and gas, which we've seen in the last couple of months fluctuate up and down, it actually might be a kind of strategic financial decision to start using recycled materials, which is not impacted by these huge global supply chains. Um, and so I really do hope that recycled materials become more and more competitive. Um, and then, yeah, I think you said it, we, we actually do have all of the technology to do this. Um, the technology to recycle, um, to recycle plastic into a fiber, to recycle plastics into a different plastic product, all of that exists. It's just about implementation at this point on a really big scale. Um, so yeah, I, I do think the consumer has started that push, but over the coming decades, I really hope that big companies uh, really lead the way and are able to make changes on a big scale. I think you're right. And I think that your brand, the new norm is going to start having businesses look at it. And those that want to be a part of that change are going to be those change makers. You're going to be at the forefront of that because it's truly, it's necessary. Um, the logistic chains, the supply chain, the vendors, all the people involved in just producing a garment, it makes it so much easier to communicate the why and start changing mm -hmm. those mindsets of those people to be able to understand why it's so important. And when brands start, you know, stop cutting corners or stop using these things or finding these other ways to produce or stop producing, it's going to be a huge shift in um, if, I think if they don't get on the forefront, they're going to be kind of left in the dark and have some unfortunate consequences because of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So as you know, this, this month is Earth Month. Um, Earth Day is coming up here right around the corner. And I'd like to bring this for, this is our season two of our podcast. And this month we're focusing on what happens after Earth Day, what happens after Earth Month, right? Us in the sustainability mm -hmm. field want to continue this conversation well beyond, you know, a marketing, like you mentioned, it's just such a, excuse me, strategic plan in place to make sure that we're every day thinking about sustainability, every day keeping that mindset and moving forward. But um, the question we'd like to ask you is, how do you support sustainability as a founder? Like, how will you and the new norm go forward and we, as you're working with brands to support sustainability and help them produce and use your products wisely? Yeah, I think as a startup, we have a unique opportunity to set our own standards up front. So if sustainability is our priority from the get-go, that is what we get to choose to prioritize. 
I think the bigger brands are all working backwards. They're looking at their supply chain. They're looking at their manufacturing methods. They're looking at their materials and realizing, oh no, this is a problem we have to work backwards to fix. But I think that's why for me in starting this, making those decisions up front has been really important. So finding recycled materials that have all of the right certifications, developing products that are not gonna produce more waste. So for example, we're, uh, we've only worked with filament yarns and those shed the least microfibers. Um, we have not dyed any of our products using chemicals. They're just naturally dyed by the recycled plastics that go into the fabric. Um, we have made everything in the US to date and that has really cut the carbon emissions associated with shipping overseas, manufacturing overseas. And, and so I think all of these decisions up front are kind of what I'm defining as sustainability. Um, and I think in working with brands, the ones that we've worked with right now and the ones going forward, I think really helping them understand what goes into our product, how that impacts their product, and then how we can kind of tell the story and educate the consumer um, so that the consumer knows what's going on behind the scenes. Because I, I do think there is a big gap between, um, you know, the consumer, the final garment, and then recycling here in this country. So I think how, you know, how do we bridge the gap between technology, communication, marketing? Um, and so, yeah, I think that's really my biggest goal right now is kind of connecting the dots. I love it. I think that being here to start it in the United States is key, especially um, for smaller brands or emerging brands that are trying to source materials, having something tangible that's here, knowing exactly where it comes from, the ease of being able to travel to their factory, to meet with founders such as yourself um, is important. How are you tackling where some with sustainability comes with a huge investment, as you know, especially for mm -hmm. brands that have to um, still produce outside of the United States. How are you looking at that on the back end if somebody purchases fabric from you and then they still have to ship it um, internationally to be able to produce if they're not able, able to produce in their home country? Yeah, so we offer three kinds of products. We, we do offer raw material licensing, um, then the yarns and then the fabrics. And so I think offering this wide range of products allows a larger brand to fit our products into their supply chain wherever they see best fit. And so I do think if it gets to the point where it's a large enough brand, all of their manufacturing is overseas, we would also want to get close to where their final garment is being made. So exactly, so that we're not shipping and transporting things all around the globe. Um, we're just still pretty small. We're still at the kind of like scaling production stage, which is why we haven't pursued overseas manufacturing. But I think with the right partnership, that is the next step for us. That's so key. I think there, it's going to be so key. And I think that you are early in thinking about, like you said, even though you're a small emerging business, I think that it's still important to have these options and know these options are available because even when I started my journey with Bold Swim, I didn't know anything about fashion. I still feel like I'm in, in learning mode and I love being able to have a community with other fa um, fashion 
owners and entrepreneurs kind of in the space to learn and kind of throw ideas at the wall to see what's working, what's not working. But I had the opportunity to go to a sourcing convention in New York. Um, and this was well before sustainability was kind of what it is now and the a marketing um, conversation and strategic for others. But it was, it made sense for me coming as a kind of a business person. I have a master's in project management. So coming at it from a business lens, it just made sense. I already knew some of the early issues with fashion and the long, uh, the long issues as well, but it just made sense. So it was the whole thing of transparency. I want people to know where my garment is made. I want them to be able to understand that this, this will be slow fashion because I was able to hear a lot of the conversations and the problems and how do I avoid that? How do I make this brand the best it can be and continue to evolve? I have to start somewhere, but if this technology exists, why wouldn't I use it? Why wouldn't mm -hmm. I choose to make this the reason that my brand exists? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So what's on the horizon for the new norm as you start to work with brands and um, produce fabric? Is there any swimwear fabric? I know that's the stretch and the performance of that alone is very unique, but um, what's on the horizon for you guys? Yeah, I mean, we're really looking for larger brands to collaborate with. I think the environmental impact of what we do just gets larger. With larger collaborations, we're able to just recycle more plastic. Um, so yeah, right now, identifying brands who share a similar mission to us. Um, in terms of swimwear, I would personally love if a swimwear company you know, made a couple different pieces with our fabric. I actually um, worked at a swimwear company for a couple of years when I was in college. Um, and so I got to kind of see, you know, the product design, uh, manufacturing, working with, you know, influencers, how do you create a brand? And so having that exposure and that kind of personal connection to swimwear, I would um, be delighted if someone created uh, something with our fabric. But yeah, we're, we're just, trying to scale at the moment and get more traction. So we are open to, you know, starting a conversation with any designer and brand. It doesn't matter how big or small you are. I think that's one thing um, we, we've been able to fill that gap. And, and speaking with some designers, you know, some fabric companies have huge minimums. We're talking 300 yards of fabric, 500 yards of fabric. And for a smaller designer, that is a, a really big amount of material to take on and could lead to a lot of waste. Um, I think that's another form of waste in the fashion industry is mm -hmm. you know having way too many garments made and not being able to sell all of them. And so, yeah, it, as we scale, we have found brands that you know want 20 yards of fabric, 100 yards of fabric, um, and have been able to scale alongside those brands, which has been you know, a unique thing being made here in the U.S. Um, so, yeah. That is great. And I definitely will be emailing you and talking to you more about it because I, I always look for innovative products. We have our fabric that we have used um, since Bold Swim started and continue to use to this day. It just performs like no other. Um, and mm -hmm. it has a lot of those green and sustainable properties with it. One of those being the biomass that it creates at end of life. So being the first biodegradable fabric 
Um, yeah. People think it's just, when I say that, they think it disintegrates in the water. That's not, <laughs> um, it's kind of like what you're describing, a synthetic fabric that's made with less heat, less water, and made in a way that, you know, uses this recycled material and fibers to be able to, if it was disposed at, um, in the landfill, it will be able to um, break down a lot faster than any other traditional nylon, polyester, mm. polyamide would. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely excited to learn more about it. Get a, I'll probably be calling you to get a few swatches. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I love that you are, you know, smaller brand friendly because you're right. The minimums that we have one um, there's no incentive. And again, it goes back to the infrastructure. If we're able to change the mindset of these producers, these textile mills and these manufacturers to, you know, one, we have to not negotiate price down, right? It, it's in your nature as a business owner to want to reduce price, but these prices are what these industries are being paid for. Now, if you find a good, you know, production team, they're not paid by piece they're paid hourly, like, uh, most of the U.S. is familiar with, so they have a living wage that they can do, and it's not determined mm -hmm. by your production, which a lot of that's goes into the pricing, right? And that's why they have the minimums. That's why they have what they have to be able to sustain those factories and sustain that that model. But I think with you providing other options for smaller brands to grow, to be able to test and to research different fabrics and what they fall in love with, and make their collection come alive. I think it's it's worth highlighting. And even this year, we took a different approach to our collection because we only produce three times a year. And mm -hmm. we do it in a way where we know what our supply and demand are. We know exactly what we'll produce if we have, and then we look at inventory, what's left over. What can we design mm -hmm. in that goes with that top or that bottom to make it a complete yeah. fit and then remarket it, right? Because not everything sells the first time you make it and produce it. And there's such a lead time from that happening that, you know, you have to do it in a way where there's no congestion between seasons, but also getting out of that hamster wheel, of, um, which causes waste in the fashion industry. Yeah. yeah. And then figuring out what to do with waste, like you mentioned, no matter how small it, you produce, there's always going to be waste. So what does the scraps look like? Where do they go? How do you re-engineer those? And how can we capture that to be able to mm -hmm. create something new? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we worked recently with a brand and they strategically made a zero waste pattern. They, I mean, they were making a tote bag, which you know has some square edges. Uh, but yeah, I think that's something that's not talked about a lot is like during the cut and sew process, there, you know, are some very large companies that waste up to 30% of their initial materials. That means a third of a yard of fabric is just being landfilled. Uh, and so I think, yeah, how do, as designers, how do we create uh, patterns that just, you know, reduce waste? How do we collect the waste at the end of that life and repurpose it for something else? Um, yeah, I just think there are so many opportunities to figure out all of these problems um, just within fashion alone. And, and so I do hope we see more technologies, uh, more people coming into this space, bringing different backgrounds, design, engineering, science, um, whatever it is to kind of solve these very multifaceted issues. 
I couldn't agree more. I think that it's a definitely a problem that requires inclusiveness from all parties involved, as well as a diversity of teams. So men, women, young, old, um, all ethnicities and cultures, uh, we're required to do this. We have a responsibility to our planet. Yeah, because it, it's really something that impacts everybody. Exactly. It's not just those um, people that are unhoused and don't have access to the basic necessities of life. It's starting to compound their problem, right? Um, and, mm -hmm. and that's another problem in itself. Like, why don't these people have basic access to needs? And I know it's not as binary as that, but also what happens when we, you know, what will it take for us to recognize it as a problem to solve now, not later, when it starts encroaching mm -hmm. on our own needs, right? Yeah. Very good. Well, there's so much more we could talk about and go into it. And I will definitely be sending you emails and correspondence to keep the conversation going and check on how the new norm is progressing in this space and also to get a few um, fabrics for myself and the brand. But uh, Laura, is it anything else that you want to share with our listeners today? How can they reach you? How can they get in contact with you? Yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out. I, I, you know, starting this as a student, I had so many mentors and advisors along the way. So I am open to talking to anyone who's interested in sustainability, doing work in this space, interested in this space. Um, but yeah, our website is thenewnormfabric.com. Um, my email is lauren at thenewnormfabric.com and our Instagram or social media is the new norm fabric. So feel free to reach out on any of those platforms. Perfect. I'll put all of that in the show notes just in case you didn't get a chance to jot it down. So you'll have it for your reference. But Lauren, thank you so much for your time. And I look thank forward you. to speaking. Oh, no problem. I look forward to speaking to you soon. All right. Thanks so much. Thank Take you. care. Bye.